Well, let's pray, shall we, as we come to this passage. Our gracious Father, we thank you for the joy that is ours because we stand on the solid rock of Christ. Lord, we know that we could not stand in your presence any other way. Lord, we couldn't do it because of our good works, uh, because of um, uh, how uh, we are in a right place with you on our own. Lord, it's only because of what the Lord Jesus has done for us and uh, the way that he has forgiven us. And so we thank you that we can come now into your presence. And we thank you that you are the God who is exalted over all things. We thank you that you raised Christ from the dead and you seated him above every authority and power and that he rules over all things, including our workplaces uh, and every aspect of our lives. And so we ask that you would help us to have a vision of the greatness of Christ that would take us into this week. And we ask that you would help, uh, help us as we read your word that we may understand what it says and rightly apply it to our lives. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, who do you work for? Who do you work for? What's your boss like at work? I'm sorry to bring up such a distracting thought. Maybe you think it's Sunday, Paul. I don't want to think about work. Well, I want you to think about work. Who do you work for? What's your boss like? Have you got a great boss? Is your boss just a a wonderful guy to work for? He's so understanding and compassionate and inspiring and, and hopeful and encouraging. Is he supportive? Is he reasonable? Does he value you? Or maybe you've got the other type of boss. Uh, maybe your boss is, is constantly critical, always undermining, um, never recognizes what you do. You feel completely unrecognized in your workplace. And it, what sort of boss have you got? What's it like? Uh, I had a friend a few years ago who told me about her boss. And her boss was a complete nightmare. A complete nightmare to work for. She, she just, you know, as Sunday progressed, she just felt more and more stressed, more and more anxious about getting back into work the next day. And as the time went on, she discovered what was it that, that motivated her boss to be the way that he was. It was the fact that his Bible was a book uh, that was written by a chap called Robert Ringer, of all names. And the book was called Winning Through Intimidation. This was his work Bible, for serious, winning through intimidation. It was published in 1973. It spent uh, 36 weeks as the number one New York bestseller, and her boss really believed it. It contains such wonderful wisdom as this. You're going to die, therefore you should go after all you can get as quickly as you can get it, because the reality is that your time is limited. Well, there we are. Someone wrote it out in black and white. Another quote from it. The problems most people have in in reaching their objectives revolve around the fact that they constantly allow themselves to be intimidated. And so it seems to be the thesis of Robert Ringer's book is, uh, don't be the one who's intimidated at work. Be the one who intimidates. And you will be a winner. Grab all you can as quickly as you can get it, because time is limited. And uh, this guy was a nightmare to have to work for. I wonder, what do you feel about your boss? What is your boss like? Do you feel that uh, 
your workplace, uh, your boss treats you like a slave? Do you feel like that? Well, what has God's word got to say to us about this? Well, please open to Ephesians chapter 5. And you'll find this on page 1177 in the church Bibles. If you have, don't have a Bible with you, there should be a red Bible around. Turn to page 1177 and you'll find this on Ephesians chapter 6. Left-hand column. I'm going to read this section for slaves and masters. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. This is God's words. Well, the context here, it's the first century, and um, it is estimated that there was, uh, at that time, about a third of the Roman Empire were slaves. The whole economy was built on slavery, and slavery would be everything from uh, household chores to agricultural jobs to what we would consider kind of uh, professional white-collar jobs. Uh, doctors and lawyers even that could be the sort of in the slave class in those days it was a big part of life in Rome and so Paul as he is kind of working out uh, what it means to live a life worthy of the calling that we've received as Christians he gets to this sort of household code that we've been examining over the last uh, few weeks And uh, in every household, there would have been many slaves. In any sort of normal, large household in Ephesus, there would have been many types of slaves. And so Paul has gone through uh, the different sort of roles and categories of the household that would have been represented in the church there in the first century. A few weeks ago, we looked at what he has to say to wives and husbands. And then last week, to children and to parents. And then this week, he addresses slaves and masters. Now, I don't think that there are any slaves here in this congregation. As much as you may feel that you're put upon at work, you actually are not a slave. Although, tragically, uh, slavery is still a problem in the world today. Um, Al Jazeera, uh, the English version of it, had a documentary, uh, has a running documentary with a guy called Raggy Omar. And It's called Slavery, a 21st Century Evil. And I watched the documentary this last week of what's going on in Pakistan and the bonded workers, as they are called, in the brick kilns of Pakistan. It is estimated there are a million uh, slaves effectively working in these brick kilns. They're offered loans. They're illiterate. They don't know what they're signing. They think that they can work it off in two years. But, of course, the interest rates are so horrific 
that after working their allotted time, they're still incredibly in debt. And people are even selling organs to get themselves out of debt and finding that it doesn't quite cover the bill. And even when you die, the debt is passed on to the offspring. And so you have in these brick kilns, grandfathers, uh, fathers, grandchildren, young children working 20 hours a day and not getting paid for it. So slavery is a terrible blight, a terrible evil still in the world today. And make no mistake about that. Slavery is wrong. Slavery is wicked. That whole notion that uh, a person it becomes like a tool uh, that we own is, uh, is something that is totally unchristian. None of us today are slaves. But if the Apostle Paul can teach slaves who had no rights, uh, who were working in the household, if he can teach them these things, I believe these biblical principles stand true for us as we think about our uh, voluntary uh, work. You know, I owe, I owe, it's off to work we go. So, you know, we all have our forms of bonded slavery, don't we? Uh, there's the credit card to pay, there's the mortgage to pay, there's the, the food's put on the table. So most of us go out to work because we have to, and uh, we need to pay the bills. And I think there are principles here that we can learn uh, for our workplace. I think the key thing as we think about our work is this. Remember who you're working for. Because if you're a Christian here today, the person that you're working for is Jesus Christ. That's the big insight of this text. If we want to have a change and transformed view of work, just as the slaves are called to have a transformed work uh, idea of their job, their role, their station in life, it is to understand this, who they ultimately work for is the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a truth that when we grab hold of it, changes everything. The uh, three times in these verses, uh, this point is stated. It's there in verse uh, 6, as to Christ. Verse 6 again, as slaves to Christ. And verse 7, serving the Lord. We work for Christ. So let's think about these two sides of it, slaves and uh, if you're a boss, an employer today, we're going to get to you uh, a little bit later in the sermon. So point number one, slaves obey, obey Christ. Look at verse five again. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. We acknowledge the person that we work for in the workplace. Just as slaves were to acknowledge the reality of the human master that was over them. But even as we listen to them and work for them, we do so knowing that behind their authority, uh, their authoritative role in our workplace, there is the authority of King Jesus. That's the big idea. And, and so Paul commands the slaves that to go about doing their work for their master as if they were directly serving Christ. Now that is a big idea, isn't it? That is an incredible thing to get our heads around. We acknowledge the rightful role that this person has as a boss over life and we obey them and treat them as if we were directly serving the Lord 
Jesus Christ. Uh, I wonder who is your boss at work? Um, Steve, who's your boss at work? All right, is he a good boss, bad boss? Not going to comment? Very good boss, smart man. <laughs> your boss is really Jesus. So as you serve him, you should serve him as if you were serving the Lord Jesus. Um, Andrew Rose, I saw you behind a pillar there. Who's your boss? Okay, good boss, bad boss? Great boss, yeah. Everyone can say great boss. Because <laughs> it goes out on the internet, doesn't it? Very smart, very smart. Great boss! Well, actually, you're really working for Jesus. Do you know that? You're really working for Jesus. We could go around each of this room, and I want to press it home. Actually, the person that you're working for, yes, acknowledge that that's a human person that you are called to obey. But actually, behind that, you, tomorrow, you are being called to work for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that mindset change will change the way we engage in our work, don't you think? See, the most menial job is elevated when we realize that we are working for someone great. If you had on your CV that you were the personal servant of the Queen of uh, England, Wales, Ireland, uh, Northern Ireland, Scotland, and uh, the Commonwealth of Nations... Uh, even if you're doing a fairly sort of uh, mundane job, it is an impressive thing, is it not? And, and this is what I'm saying to the workers here today, that you will go to work tomorrow and you are working for the King of Kings. You are working for the Lord of Lords. Now, you, maybe you've got an egomaniac as a boss and uh, you might think that he is that, but you really are working for the real King of Kings and the real Lord of Lords. And that reality will change and transform everything with regard to work, won't it? Practically, there's three ways it'll change that. Firstly, it'll mean that we are respectful and obedient workers. Verse 5, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Actually, if I'm going tomorrow to work to serve King Jesus, that's going to demand a certain level of reverence and respect, is it not? Did you hear the words from Psalm 2? As uh, the foolish enemies who are opposed to God's king are reminded of the reality of who they're opposing, that God has installed his king on his holy mountain. And they are advised to um, kiss the son, lest he be angry. To serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. And so if tomorrow we're getting up and we're going to work for King Jesus, there is a, a, a proper respect, reverence, and obedience of the person who humanly stands there uh, as your supervisor. Uh, underneath that idea of um, obey is this idea of listening very carefully. Listen very carefully to what your boss wants and diligently go to it. Listen very carefully, know what he wants, know what he expects. And go to it. Get on with it. And I tell you what, if, you, if we engage in work in that way, you will be a very prized worker. 
if I speak to some bosses, some of their frustrations is, these people never seem to understand what I'm saying. Why can't they do? I tell them what to do. They don't do it. Well, respectfully, be obedient workers. That will be the reality if we are working for King Jesus. Secondly, we'll be consistent workers. Verse 6. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. When the supervisor's around, most of us can do a pretty good job of looking busy, uh, getting on with the job. The point is, what happens when he's not around, when he's away for a week at a conference or something like that? Well, Christian slaves are called to be just as hardworking when their masters, their supervisors' eyes are not on them as when they're on them. They're not to just be eye servers who just only work when the boss is looking. Yeah. And the coffee was back at it. No, no. If we get that we're working for King Jesus, then it's his eyes that we are looking to. We're looking to his eyes and we're looking to his evaluation of our work. Not even so much our supervisor. And also it is his ethics that we look to as well. We are seeking to do the will of God from our hearts. There's a, there's a lot of, of concern uh, these days about uh, workplace ethics. Where are the ethical standards going? How can we mandate ethics, teaching ethics, all the rest of it? Well, for the Christian, this, this is all the ethics that he needs to know that King Jesus is his boss. And that his eyes are on him as he works away. That he's working to serve him. And, and, you know, the rest of the book of Ephesians has been teaching us about what the will of God is. His big salvation plan. That he's going to put all things under Christ. He's going to be head over all. And in a sense, as we uh, engage in the work, we are, we are beginning to live exactly that way. He is over all, including in my workplace. And it is his standards, his ethics, that shape the way that I will act and behave in my workplace. A great illustration of this, isn't it, is in, uh, in Genesis, uh, as you think about Joseph. Um, let's just turn back to that. Keep your finger in Ephesians, and let's turn back to uh, page 44, Genesis 39. Famous story, of course, if you've been through Sunday school, or if you've seen the Lloyd Webber musical. There's Joseph and uh, his brothers have, have, have been awful and they've, they didn't like him. Thought he was a show-off. And uh, they sold him into slavery. And there he is. He's a slave to Potiphar. And he is placed. Uh, he does well. He doesn't uh, just whinge and moan. He gets on serving his master. And he does such a super job that he gets elevated uh, to the top job. And uh, he's put as master of all the household. And there we see uh, that Potiphar's wife is not the most ethical woman. In fact, she's a bit of a floozy. And uh, she makes sexual advances on him. And uh, 
is abusing her position of authority. She makes advances on, on Joseph. And what does, he, what does he say? We'll have a look at uh, verse 8. Verse 7, she says, Come to bed with me. Verse 8, But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? He is a slave. He's had a rough time of it. He's a young man. He has opportunity. And what does he do? Well, he's aware of that he's there to serve his earthly master, isn't he? How could I do this thing to my earthly boss when he's, he showered me with such favor? But where is, where, where, whose eyes is he really concerned about? It is God who is watching, isn't it? How can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? This, for the Christian worker, is his ethical framework. That God is watching. That Christ is his master that Christ is watching him in his workplace. And so it, in a sense, if we've really got a Christ-centered view of life and of work, then we're going to be respectful, obedient workers, and we're going to be consistent workers. And thirdly, we're going to be wholehearted and motivated workers. Look at verse 7, wholehearted. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men. Now, some people do get fantastic bosses who are inspirational and uh, motivational people. They love working with them, you know. Um, most don't have such bosses. And uh, actually, what really motivates us is the prospect of a bonus or a pay increase or the threat of uh, um, being sacked, fired, I guess. Um, but actually, when we realize that our real boss is the Lord Jesus Christ. That changes the nature of our heart service, doesn't it? Who is the one we're working for? Well, we're working for the heavenly master who came into this world as a servant, who gave up his life for us, who went to the cross to suffer in our place. Who took the penalty for our sin and our rebellion in his own body on the tree. He took away God's wrath from us so that we could be forgiven and accepted and made clean. We were far off. We were without hope. We were without God. But we were brought near with the blood of Christ we learnt in Ephesians. Well, what a Lord and Master to serve. What a privilege to serve such a Lord and King who died for me and was raised for me. In a sense, our boss may not be very inspiring and may not be worthy of wholehearted service, but is, is King Jesus worthy of that? He is, is he not? And if, our, if we have a Christ-centered view of the workplace, then we will serve wholeheartedly because we're serving him. And we have a whole new motivation too 
For us, it's not so much just the, uh, the threat of the stick and the promise of the carrot. It is the reality of the heavenly reward. Look at verse 8. Because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he's slave or free. Maybe you're feeling discouraged today. People really don't notice how hard you work. People take you for granted. Well, listen to this. The Lord does not uh, take you for granted. He will reward everyone, each one. The eyes of the Lord Jesus are on you in the workplace. Maybe you get rubbished at work. Maybe people treat you poorly and uh, and unfairly. But you know what? If you engage in good work for King Jesus, he sees it and he delights to reward it. Now this is not a works that gets us saved. We've made that clear, haven't we, through the book of Ephesians. Uh, It is by grace you've been saved. Through faith, not works. But you know what? This amazing God of grace who has saved us by his grace, uh, when he sees us engaging in good works, he delights to draw attention to it and to reward it as well. Even a a cup of cold water offered is noted by King Jesus. Look at that. Oh, wow. That's, that's, That's terrific. Look at that. He sees everything we do. That is the Christian's motivation. And I note that uh, in a culture which is obsessed with talking about workers' rights and demanding that we get our rights, the New Testament teaching is very much about workers' responsibilities. It sort of turns it upside down, doesn't it? Workers. But you know, it's not just workers who need to pay attention here, it's masters as well. Not just slaves, but masters. Masters are also to remember their master in heaven. Verse 9. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. In the same way. They may be an earthly master, but they too have got a heavenly master. They, they may have slaves who work for them, but they, if they're a Christian, they are a slave of Christ. And they have the same master if they have a Christian slave as their slave's master. And this is a revolutionary thing. This passage is revolutionary full stop. The very fact that Paul addresses slaves as ethical, responsible people was unheard of in in the first century. That they are moral agents that, that, that should be responsible for their actions was a big thing. But then think about how revolutionary this was. Uh, as Paul says that, okay, out in the world, you have a certain social standing, a certain social role. But when it comes to God's households, you are equal. You're both slaves of Christ. And remember, as you engage with your authority, do so remembering that you have a heavenly master First century slavery was basically uh, controlled by fear and threat. And the master could do anything he wanted to his slaves with impunity with regards to law. 
And so it was done under threat. But Paul says, no, if you, if you understand, if you're a boss, uh, if, you're a, if, you're a, if you're a master, you need to understand this. Uh, it's changed now that Christ is your master. Verse 9, do not threaten them, since you know who is both their master and yours in heaven. And there is no favoritism with him. It was a first century technique. I think probably it's pretty much a 21st century technique as well, don't you think? I was reading a, a, a comment about Steve Jobs, a biography that's came out about the way Steve Jobs used to work. And his main management uh, tool, it seems to be, was uh, yelling and uh, demeaning and belittling. And he would berate his staff all day into the night, seven days a week. And many people just quit, apparently. And uh, those that were tough enough to stick it out did great things. So maybe it worked. But uh, if you're a Christian boss, that's not... That's not the way that you're to engage in your role of authority. You too work for Christ. And I think great cross-reference for, for, for a Christian understanding of being a boss is to, is to the book of James. He, James chapter 3. And look at verse 9. With the tongue... This is page 1215, 1215 in the church Bibles. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing, my brothers, this should not be. What value is it going to church on Sunday, singing God's praises, and then going to work next day and cussing out and belittling and ripping apart your employees who are in the image of God. We're going to have to find new techniques of management if that's our current uh, modus operandum. It doesn't make sense. Well, look at chapter 5 and verse 4. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You see, if employers know that they have a heavenly master to whom they're accountable, who's watching the way they treat their slaves, their employees, it will call for being honest, just, a fair wage for a fair day's work because the heavenly master is observing how we lead our companies, our offices, our workplaces, our factories. Who do you work for? Who do you work for? The Lord Jesus Christ. Tomorrow, when you wake up, the alarm's going to go off and you're going to say, I get to work for Jesus today. I'm going to work for Jesus. You can ask him for strength to help you put up with the bozo who's your boss if you want. Well, thank God for the boss you've got. But you're going to go and work for Jesus. In the parable of the talents, Jesus uh, says this, Well done, good and faithful servant. 
You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. We have a a Lord who loves to reward what we do. Isn't that amazing? Tomorrow is an opportunity to serve King Jesus. And if we're faithful in small things, he will bless us with much greater things and we'll come and enter into his happiness. So are you going to work for Christ tomorrow? Well, the answer could be no. Um, I can imagine a, a, a Christian uh, who's not really got a Christ-centered view of work, going into work and really being disrespectful, uh, not doing his job, being dishonest, being work-shy. Well, if you behave like that, you should know that you're not only in danger of losing your job, but you're also bringing great dishonor to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, I knew a man uh, in America, he, he, uh, he called Edmund. He owned a, a plastics business in Coeur d'Alene in Idaho, uh, made little plastic objects, had lots of employees. And I was talking to him, and he was telling me about one guy who he worked for him for a time, and he made a big show about being a Christian. Came in with a big fat Bible, and insisted they listened to Christian radio as they worked in the factory. He made a big thing about it. Uh, he was a bit of a pain in the neck. And then Edmund discovered that he was stealing from the company. Now at that point, Edmund was not a Christian. That did not commend Christ to Edmund. But we could say, actually, yes, I'm going to work for Christ. Well, let me tell you about uh, Edmund a bit more, because Edmund actually did have a competitor who ran another plastics factory 20 miles down the road in Spokane Valley, Pat. And Pat was an elder in the church that uh, I pastored in America. And uh, you know they'd known each other for years. They'd been rivals. They met up at sort of uh, events together and... Uh, often talk together and um, Edmund noticed that Pat was so different there was something different about Pat and was just impressed about his life impressed about the way that he uh, ran his business the way he treated his employees and uh, when it came to a tough time in Edmund's life Edmund picked up the phone to call Pat and he said uh, Pat um, I um, I'm going through a bit of a tough time, he said. Now, I think I heard you say you, you, you're, you're a Christian. And Pat goes, yes. He's wary. It's a rival, right? Yes, he says. He said, uh, are you one of those born-again Christians? Yes. And do you go to one of those churches where they kind of teach through the Bible every week? Yeah, I guess I do. Can I go to church with you? Okay. Even though he's a rival, that's grace, isn't it? Edmund came, and Edmund became a Christian. My friends, we do not leave Jesus when we walk out of this building today. It's not like Jesus sits here on his own, waiting for you to come back next week. Do you know, by the time you get up and get into work tomorrow, he's already there. Jesus is at your workplace. He's the Lord of over everything. Tomorrow, we all get to go and work for King Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. What a privilege. What an opportunity. 
Who knows what he may do through our lives? Let's pray. Our gracious Father, uh, we come to you and firstly, Lord, we want to say that we're sorry for ways that we uh, have, have sinned in our workplaces, that we, we, we have failed to live um, this way. And we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that his blood cleanses us from every sin and has brought us near to you that we have you we have hope in this world so Father we commit to you the week ahead Lord there may be many struggles in our hearts many complications many difficulties but we ask that you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit that we'd have eyes to see the Lord Jesus in our workplace, that we, we may live to serve him. Lord, whether we are running companies or working in companies, oh Lord, help us to see Christ, that he may be glorified, that he may be known in this city. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen.